So we're doing a series in Advent. You are doing a series in Advent on um, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These three gifts that were offered to the baby Jesus by the wise men. Dave Perry, I understand, did an excellent job last week. Now, I know Dave very well. He's a good friend, and he's a great preacher. And so I have heard from several different places this week what an excellent job Dave has done uh, last week. So I don't need to go through all the fact that it wasn't really three wise men. It was just wise men, and it just happened to be the three gifts and all that sort of thing. Uh, And he laid an excellent foundation last week. This thing about Dave is just a little bit of a bugbear, because... One time before I was coming here to preach, and the week before, Dave had done an excellent job. And all that week through preparation, Lorraine kept saying to me, oh, Dave was so good on Sunday. Dave was so good on Sunday. And by the time we came to Saturday, and I was sitting down again trying to prepare, and she said, oh, Dave was so good on Sunday. I said, you are really not helping me. So... I've had various people this week also saying the same thing to me about Dave last week. And uh, and here's another thing. We had a KST weekend. Those of you who don't know what that is, it's King's School of Theology weekend. Uh, We have two years of that running in the Salt and Light family of churches. And I was doing all the first years this year in September. And Dave was doing the same weekend. We were all in the same conference center. He was doing the second year. And... um, and so Lorraine says, well, I'd really love to come with you uh, on that weekend. Great. So we go to this conference center together. And, you know, as we're on our way, she says, by the way, I think I'll go and listen to Dave. <laughs> so anyway, there you go. So she went and listened to Dave. And uh, if you weren't here last week, Dave did an excellent job on gold for a king. Because the, the present of bringing gold to a king uh, it's, it's about the kingship of Jesus. Isn't it wonderful, isn't it wonderful that even from pagan people, I mean people who did not believe in God or Jesus, these uh, wise men from the East who were astrologers, who understood that this star stood for an important birth, could, by the gifts that they brought, see in the life of this baby such significance and offer these gifts of gold for a king and frankincense for a priest and myrrh for a... You'll find that out next week because Steve's doing that one next week. Um, I think some of you will know what that is. But, But in the gifts that they gave and presented to this beautiful little baby, there was so much significance in what his future life was going to mean and involve. I find that absolutely wonderful. So we're thinking about frankincense. On Friday, Lorraine went out shopping, uh, some Christmas shopping, along with her sister. In the old days, I used to go with her. Now I have an excuse Uh, that I can't walk very far at the moment, and so she went with her sister instead. So I rang her up in the middle of the morning as I was thinking about this and said, can you see if you can find any frankincense in a shop there in Swindon, which is where she was? And uh, so anyway, she tried several shops. Most people looked at her blankly when uh, she talked about frankincense, but hey, there you go. Um, 
frankincense is a form of incense, the sort of incense that might be used in eastern bazaars or uh, types of Christian worship even, or sometimes non-Christian worship, the sort of thing that you burn to make different smells, but uh, frankincense is a form of pure incense uh, from a particular type of tree, which I stuck up here for your information in case anyone is interested at all, a tree called the Boswellia Sacra tree called Livona in Hebrew or Olibanum, which some people there get, then get the name Oil of Lebanon from. Um, so it's a very, very special and select perfume. Uh, it, actually, they gather it a little bit like you gather rubber in the sense that you tap the tree after a certain time. It doesn't give off its, uh, its perfume, its sort of gluey perfume stuff, until it's been growing for about 10 or 12 years. Uh, but then it becomes very, very fruitful indeed and gets tapped every two or three months for this glutinous, aromatic perfume that comes out of it. And, uh, and, and the gluier, the better, so I'm told by various articles on Google and things. Anyway, uh, the, the, the gluier, the better. Uh, and uh, so, so that's frankincense. It was, interestingly enough, one of the ingredients in Old Testament worship. So if you read back into the Old Testament, you will find time and time again when the Old Testament people of God are, have you know, a form of worship that is prescribed for them, incense and frankincense, and they're probably both much the same, even though, as I say, frankincense is a slightly purer um, form of this stuff. By the way, I did think of doing something that was done in the summer uh, at our Salter Night summer event called Transform. Uh, we had a speaker called Malcolm Duncan with us, and uh, for his third session, I think it was his third session, I just happened to be sitting on the front row, and he said, uh, and we'd had plenty of times of interaction and talk, so he came up to me and said, brother, I need your help. He said, here we are, take this bottle, and when I say so, pour some on your hand and go and shake the hands of ten people in this tent. And there were probably 1,300, 1,500 people in the tent uh, for that session. And so he gave us his talk, smashing talks it was, one of, you know, best speakers at the moment, uh, as it were, talking about how churches impact communities, really very, very good. But he was talking at the end of this about us being the fragrance of Christ. And he says, now, this is how it works. And he just sort of said, go. And so I poured out some of this, um, some of this perfume on my hand. It was only sort of lavender oil type stuff. So that, that that actually does go quite a long way, doesn't it? And I just shook about 10 people's hands with my lavender hand and then said, and I said to each one, go somewhere in the tent and shake people's hands. And as we did so, the whole tent was filled with uh, this uh, lavender fragrant perfume. 
uh, that came, it just came from one bottle, 10 people, and then everybody smelt it all the way across the tent. It was very, very powerful. I thought I might do something with that, but we didn't get any frankincense and couldn't do it or couldn't burn it in the four corners of its room or whatever it may be. So you'll just have to imagine that little experiment. The point being that uh, in Old Testament worship, actually they did a lot more than we do, uh, or at least a lot more than our type of church does. I mean, some churches do a bit more. They did have a lot of you know, visual things that happened during the worship and sensual things. So there were, there, you know, there was smells and other dramatic things to, uh, you know, to somehow try and get this sort of feeling of, actually, in the case of the perfume, prayer rising to God. And, I mean, Helen prophesied a little bit of this this morning, this whole, this whole picture of prayer rising to God. Um, this incense always accompanied meat offerings, oddly enough. In, uh, in the Old Testament worship, but not sin offerings. Now, if you don't understand the difference between meat offerings and sin offerings, you're going to have to read your Old Testament. I haven't got time to explain that now. But there is a difference, there was a difference in Old Testament times. And the point was this, that the incense was seen as so pure uh, that it couldn't be associated with sin. It was associated with the presence of God was associated with prayers going up to God, but it couldn't actually be associated with sin, so it was never used in sin offerings. Isn't that interesting? Uh, it's actually, this incense is a symbol of God's name. So, for instance, in perhaps one of the most powerful passages um, in the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, um, I just can't find at this moment. It comes after Ecclesiastes and before Isaiah normally. Just slipped out for a moment. Um, Song of Songs is a love poem. Of course it's a love poem. But throughout the centuries people have seen this also as a, uh, a symbolic love poem between God and his people. Uh, and so here we go. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your your name is like perfume poured out. Your name is like perfume poured out. Now, we sang a couple of 60s songs this morning. Uh, Majesty. Majesty. They're still good. <laughs> They're still good. Thank you, Esther. Uh, one of the 60s, 70s songs, it might have been a 70s song. <laughs> uh, one of the 70s songs went like, this. His name, this is Jesus' name, his name is like a fragrance poured forth, a perfume rare of wonderful worth. And it was talking about the rich, rich name of Jesus. You know, when you go through all the names of Jesus, one of the wedding presents that Lorraine and I were given uh, was actually by from a by a friend of ours, Mary Hipsley, who had embroidered in a in a frame all the names of Jesus. You know, 
and given it to us as we got married. That has been a very precious gift. Uh, it got knocked over a couple of years ago, and the glass broke, and we replaced it. It's not the sort of thing you would throw away. You know, we replace the glass and that, because actually we both go into our uh, dining room where it sits and uh, pray through the names of Jesus still fairly, fairly regularly. Because when, when you read all the names of Jesus, uh, you're supposed to sort of hurt uh, You know, we're not supposed to say, oh, isn't that interesting? You know, he's called Strong Tower. He's called Emmanuel. Isn't that interesting? Uh, you're not supposed to read the names of Jesus like that. You're not supposed to think about the names of Jesus. You're supposed to think, wow, he's our Strong Tower. Emmanuel, oh, he's with us all the time. And you're supposed to, you know, breathe in that sort of sense of the strength that comes from the names of Jesus. And the name of God was like that. Uh, Malachi 1.11, how about that? Uh, for verse? I'm going to dot around a little bit this morning because I'll, you know, if you want to know what the gift means, you're going to have to understand a little bit of what the rest of the Bible says. So I'm quite unapologetic about this. And can't just read one verse from Matthew chapter 2 and hope that that will do the trick, because it won't. But Malachi chapter 1, and I suspect I've got the wrong reference on here. Yes, it says 1-1 there. It's 1-11. Uh, Malachi chapter 1 verse 11 says this. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations. You see the connection of my name and incense. My name will be great amongst the nations. Incense will spread out everywhere as people hear my name. And here, presented to this baby Jesus, is a gift of frankincense, which indicates that his name is going to go out into all the nations and be a fragrance that will change the nations. If you go to India, one of the things that you are assailed by, all your senses are assailed in India, and I know there's some Indians here, so I have to be very careful what I'm saying, and, and I love India, and Keith and Eileen and Lorraine and I were there in November, um, but you're very aware of smells. That's just one sense that is assailed in India. There are plenty of other senses, you know, noise. Car horns. I mean, just all sorts of things. You're assailed by lots of things in India. India is a colourful, energetic nation, which I really love going to. But, but his name, this little baby Jesus, his name is going to be like a fragrance that will fill all nations and will fill that nation of India. And at the moment, it's not the greatest name but it will be and the name of Jesus is growing and the church is growing in India when I first went to India in the early 80s about 2.9 of the population 
once Christian, it is now about 70% of the population that is Christian. Praise God. Hey, you may think 7% of the sentiment Take 7% of 1.1 billion, please. And you are talking about lots and lots and lots of people. Can we have an amen to that? This is, this is worth praising God. The fragrance of Jesus. This isn't just, oh, what a nice gift, you know. Nice baby grow. Now, doesn't that look nice? You understand, we all, we're all into sort of gifts for babies. And, uh, you know, actually, when we were in India, we bought you know, two lovely Indian outfits for our baby twin granddaughters. Uh, you know, whether they'll ever wear them, I don't know. But anyway, um, they're, they're lovely. We couldn't resist them, you know. Gifts for babies. Uh, that's very important. Listen, you've got to think much bigger than gifts for babies when we're thinking of gold, frankly. This is saying who Jesus was going to be. And the fragrance of Jesus' name was destined to fill the nations uh, because of the work that he was going to do. This is an emblem of prayer, as, uh, as Helen prophesied. Very well, didn't I, Helen? As Helen prophesied, an emblem of prayer as well. Just turn to Psalm 141, verse 2. O Lord, this is verse 1. O Lord, I call to you, come quickly to me. Hear my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. So this is a symbol of God's name, but also of prayer going up to him. And of course, this is a recognition that Jesus was one who was going to be involved in bringing a new worship in the nations into this world because of his priestly ministry. So gold recognizes a king who is coming into the earth and frankincense speaks of a great priest who is coming in to this world to release worship across the nations to our great God. We're talking, of course, about Jesus, the great king priest. Now, this does get very, very complicated, and I will try and make it as simple as possible. Uh, Psalm 110, verse 4, is what we call a messianic psalm. That means it looks forward to the coming of the Messiah. And the Lord is going to bring about a whole new uh, event amongst his people. And the Lord is going to bring a Messiah into the earth to do it. Verse 4 says this, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Now, when God swears, you know that he means business. Where you or I swear, it can be a bit trivial. But when God swears, he means business. When we have to swear that we will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that is serious. But when God, and sometimes people do, and sometimes people don't, but when God says, I swear this, that means he will do it. He's not going to back down. He's, you know, he won't rethink this. This he will do. The Lord has sworn and will not 
change his mind. You, the Messiah coming into the world, are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, to give you, who can tell me anything about Melchizedek? Just to, just to get a bit of interaction going here, so it's not on me. Yes, Mike. He was the king of Salem, yes, which was, in, 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 later, Jerusalem. Thank you very much. Yes, anything else? We don't know his genealogy quite. We don't know quite where he came from. That's, that means it's a bit mysterious, because knowing your genealogy, where you came from in the ancient world, is just very, very important indeed. A little bit like it is for, for us, but very much more so for them. Anything else? Who else can tell me anything about Melchizedek? Yes. He was greater than Abraham. He was indeed. Yeah, why, why is he greater than Abraham? I mean, why is Abraham mentioned even? Abraham tithed to him. That's right. He gave him 10% of all that he owned. And Abraham was a very, very wealthy man. He gave him 10% of all he owned as an, a mark of honor to him. His name, name means king of peace. Yes, it's effectively, he was the king of Salem, which is Shalom, which is peace. Yes, okay. Anything else? He, he was the king of righteousness. Well, yeah, anyway, yes, king of righteousness as well, yes, but let's just keep going. I'm trying not to get us bogged down. He was the king of righteousness as well. He was the priest of the Most High God. Anybody tell me anything else? Okay. Uh, he met Abraham and Abraham tithed him. What else happened then? He blessed Abraham and... And Abraham was very blessed. Yes, okay, thank you very much. <laughs> Any, anything else? It is clearly something. And I'm looking in this direction for a particular reason. Not that way, Ruth, this way. Pardon? Um, I don't know that he did, but that's not what I'm thinking of. took out bread and wine. He took out bread and wine to Abraham, gave him the bread and wine, speaks of heavenly nourishment, is actually looking forward to another king priest who was going to come and uh, bring the, effectively the same gift. It's all a little bit complicated, this, um, but, but I want us to understand that as soon as as soon as a frankincense is presented, we're thinking of a priest, and it's a very special sort of priest. Now, what did ordinary priests do? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us what ordinary priests do. Uh, um, oh, by the way, if you want to follow this up a bit, this is for Bible scholars, right? Some of you can, you know, for people who really like studying, and anybody who really likes following some leads, it starts in, it starts in, can we go back, please? Sorry, sorry, sorry. Thank you, Richard, if you could just go back. Uh, it starts in the book of Genesis with the meeting between Abraham and Melchizedek. It comes to Psalm 110, verse 4, and then it goes to Zechariah chapter 6, verse 13. And what you get together is a king who is a priest. A king who is a priest. So he rules. How does he rule? He rules by his priesthood. That means he doesn't rule through human rule. 
he rules because of his relationship with God, through his vertical relationship with God, because he's a king and a priest. How did Jesus exercise authority as he walked on the earth? He says, I only do what I see my father doing. I only speak what I hear my father speaking. And he exercised authority because of his relationship with the father. He rules by his priesthood. Okay, so, and he's going to start a whole new people of God. Listen to this, but you're going to have to put it together a little bit more. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a holy people, a royal priesthood. Ooh, king's priests. We also are destined to have authority. How? Not out of human force or soulish power, but out of our relationship with God. Whenever we do what we hear from God, we have authority. Whenever we speak what we hear from God, we have authority because we also are part of this royal priesthood led by a king priest. Now we are a royal priesthood. Revelation says exactly the same. We are kings and priests, kings and priests. That phrase is used regularly. Now, sorry if some of this is just going a little bit too deep for some, but these, these echoes we need to listen to and understand that our priest king, who gets presented with, oil, with gold and frankincense, is going to raise up around this earth a whole people who are now a royal priesthood, who every one of them have a relationship with God and can be strong in the earth not because of their human force or their human power, but because God is with them and they're hearing from God and they are speaking his words and they're moving in his power. We are kings and priests before God in these days. And this is what is being presaged when we see this gift given to a tiny baby. The king priest is here and he is going to raise up a whole new people who will be a fragrance in the nations. Amen. Amen. Praise God. I, I've been praying that God would help us to get this. Because it's not, it's, it's not straightforward or superficial. But if we get it, and if we understand who Jesus is, and if we understand who we are, we are not going to be wimps in this world. We're going to be mighty for Jesus in this world. And God wants us to be mighty for Jesus in the world by his strength and his power and his authority at work within us. What do priests do? It's all taking me a bit longer than I might have expected. Probably not longer than you might have expected. But anyway. What do priests do? Hebrews chapter 5. Tell us what priests do. Priests. Uh, as men, they represent men before God. In the Old Testament, worship. The priest stood before the people at a certain point, And then at a certain point... He goes behind the curtain. The curtain says to everybody else standing in the worship, keep out. You have no right in here. You can't come in. Keep out. But the priest goes in. He goes into the presence of a holy God. And going into the presence of a holy God, he offers sacrifices to a holy God on behalf of the people who stand outside waiting, will God accept those sacrifices? Can their sins be wiped out for another year? 
he goes in and he conducts all these sacrifices. Eventually he comes out through the curtain. He has not been killed. If you understand an unholy person going into the presence of a holy God, he could be killed. But he hasn't been killed. He comes back. <sighs> Sigh of relief from all the people standing there. God's accepted the sacrifices that our priest has offered for us. He offers gifts and sacrifices for sin. And because he's human, he deals gently with sinful people in their weakness. He identifies. He says, God, would you, fulfill, would you please forgive these people? They're sinful, I'm sinful, we're sinful. He can plead for the people because he also is a sinner. He does this all by a sense of God's call. Not anybody could be a priest in Old Testament society to call. He does it out of a sense of call. Hebrews then tells us what Jesus did. Well, the truth is he did, next line please, he did all the above and far more. He went in to the presence of God, which is what it means when it says when Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain that said, keep out, now says, come in. It's no longer there. It happened at the very point that Jesus died. He's gone through the heavens, the book of Hebrews says, and he stands in the presence of God with hands pierced and side pierced. And he gives us, the book of Hebrews says, solid ground for hope. You don't have to hope that you can be forgiven. Lord, please, if you're not too angry today, and if you're not fed up with me asking because it seems like I come back every day and ask for something to be forgiven. Might you please wash me again? Some of us feel like that sometimes, don't we? Well, I've asked about this one before. Can I really be forgiven? Sir, Jesus has passed through the heavens and is there with hands pierced and side pierced has offered the sacrifice to end all sacrifices himself he is both the high priest and the lamb he's the one who offers the sacrifice and the sacrifice is himself and he he's there in the presence of God What's more, he doesn't sort of go in and just stand there saying, is it all right? He goes in and the father accepts the sacrifice of the son. It says, he sat down. That means it's a work that's finished, it's completed. I'm sitting down because I'm too weak to stand up all the time. But he sat down 
because he's finished the work he came to do. He's offered the sacrifice that sets us free. This great high priest whose name is going to be fragrance in all of the nations has offered a sacrifice which finishes with sin once and for all. Hallelujah. And he dispenses now hope, grace and mercy. So what did Jesus do? Let's continue, Rich. I'm sorry I'm messing around a bit. He became a priest like Melchizedek, not like Aaron. And here's the odd thing it says in the book of Hebrews, because if you want to know about this priesthood, it's all in the book of Hebrews. But again, there's several chapters that you need to read from chapter 4 through to chapter 8 if you want to know about this priesthood. He has a permanent priesthood. Now, he's offered... The one sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. That's why it's not necessary for us to offer any more sacrifices. But he is now doing something that he will not stop doing because he's a priest. And I'll tell you what it is. Or can anybody here tell me what it is? No. (laughs) Graham's just pointed out to me it's up there. All right, then. He has a permanent priesthood in which he prays for the people of God. His work of sacrifice is finished, but his work and ministry of prayer continues. And as you go to work tomorrow, he's praying for you. And as I go to hospital tomorrow, he's praying for me. As you go to whatever nations you go to in the world for Jesus, he's praying for you. He's praying for you, saints of God. He's praying for you. There is no need for you to be weak and wimpish and unsure and uncertain and insecure about who you are. You have a high priest in the heavens who's been called to a permanent priesthood and he's praying for you. If you don't think his prayers are worth something... That's a poor do. Jesus, the pure sacrifice of God, who's standing there in heavenly places, who's loved by his Father, is praying for you, Jeremy Clice. You just have to be looking at me at that moment. You need a bit of prayer, Jeremy Clice. He's praying for you. And I would love you to get up tomorrow morning praying for me. He's praying for me. He's also established a new covenant in which our past sin is forgiven and we have received eternal life. And here's now what it says, and this is where I'm going to finish, Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to turn to this I'd be grateful, and if you don't want to turn to it, I'd be grateful if you'd overcome not wanting to and turn to it. Hebrews, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 90. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, By a new and living way, 
open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, a great priest over, not a dingy, mingy little priest over the house of God, but a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Not wondering, hoping, hoping for the best. Is he going to help me? He's praying for you for goodness sake. You need to wonder whether he's going to help you. He's praying for you. Of course he's going to help you. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, praise God. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. So let us hope, hold unswervingly to the hope we professed. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together or coming once every couple of weeks when it suits us. As some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And that day is the day when the fragrance of the name of Jesus will be spread through Prayer will be offered in every nation, every land, every continent to the living God and his son, Jesus Christ. Let us hold unswervingly to our hope. He's praying for you, saints. He's offered the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. And that's why the baby was offered 